Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is where we'll be this morning. Don't you love that chrome sledgehammer? You can only get one if you leave here on staff and go preach at a church. I just sort of made that rule up just then. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 7 and read down to verse 10. And you're going to see one of the great calls to have joy in life. So we got about 35 minutes together, and I want you to, to do the work and focus in on what does God's Word say. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin reading verse 7. <clears throat> the preacher says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would speak to us. We trust your word. We believe it to be how you speak to us. Lord, I pray you would let me be a mouthpiece for the text. Keep our hearts focused here. And Lord, I pray that you would now bring healing and hope and joy to the hearts of men and women at Hickory Grove, many of whom have walked through a very dark time. Lord, I, I pray that the, the sun of your grace would shine down with healing power. Let people feel how they're loved by you, our Father in heaven. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Romans chapter 8 is one of the great chapters of the Bible. Many of you have lots of Romans 8 either memorized or internalized. Oftentimes, people will take Romans chapter 8, verse 28, as a life verse. If you do not have a life verse, that is a great life verse. Romans chapter 8, Paul makes one of the great promises of the Bible. And more specifically, in Romans chapter 8, Paul makes one of the great promises of the Bible for Christians. This is how he says it in Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that for those that love God, those that love God, we know that for those that love God, all Things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know that? I want you to take all of the events, every single one of them, all of the events of this past year, all of the pain, all of the frustration, all of the tragedy, all of the hurt, all of the broken or even damaged friendships. Some of you walked in with broken, with a broken heart. 
been fighting depression, you, you feel like you're drowning in it, bouts of anxiety, loss of a job or a cut in pay, and just, just pick something that's happened to you. Pick something. And take that something and bring it over here to this category. Do you actually believe that? That as a child of God, God has brought you through that. He took you there. He made that happen, and he did it for your good. How can that be? How can we take that promise in Romans 8, 28 and, and actually appropriate it for our lives? <clears throat> I think the preacher in Ecclesiastes 11 helps us with that. Now, I recognize that Ecclesiastes is not known for its uplifting tone. This is not what you recommend to someone when they're feeling down. Go read Ecclesiastes. Probably not going to pick you up. You won't find this book on many bumper stickers. People aren't quoting Ecclesiastes. All of life is vanity. Not, not ever going to hear Joel Osteen preach in Ecclesiastes. But right here near the end, in, in chapter 11, right here near the end, here's what the preacher is doing. He's reminding us that in spite of every single thing that you've encountered, all of the bad, think about the bad, in spite of everything that you've encountered, everything you've struggled through, his reminder here is that it's a gift. Life is a gift. Life is a gift and life is, is good. And, and more than that, when you actually are in Christ, in Christ by the perfect life, death of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection, your faith in that. When you are in Christ, every single day of life is a good gift from, from our good God. So here's what I want to do today. I just, for the time we have together, I just want to take this passage and I want to convince you, by God's grace, convince you of the goodness of God and, and, and how good God is and how good it is for you to know him as a child of God, what it is to be in Christ. I want you to walk out of here and be able to, to live in whatever circumstances you're in, whatever weight you're carrying, and all God's children got a weight they're carrying, whatever it is you're dealing with, I want you to walk out of here and be able to have joy in your life. Because in Christ, let's say it like this, in Christ, life is good. Now, I took this passage, I've been looking at it, been rolling it over and, and praying through it every single day, even part of my devotional life. After I finish my devotion, I'll go to this passage and just pray through, trying to categorize it. I've had a hard time. Uh, usually I'll go sequentially, but today I wanna, I'll have to skip around a little bit with the verses. But let's start with the first point, and I'll try to say it's simple goes like this, it's good to be alive. I would write that down somewhere, it's good to be alive. That, that seems to be the feel. <clears throat> At least that's what the preacher's saying in verse 7. I mean, in this beautiful verse, verse 7, do you see it? He says that light is sweet and it is pleasant 
for your eyes to see the sun. It's good to wake up in the morning. It's good to walk out of here. Maybe the clouds will be gone and, and you'll have the sun hit your face. It's good to look out the window and see the dawn coming. The preacher's saying there is something good about being alive. This actually may be the most positive sentence in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. It's filled with, um, with common grace. It's filled with the grace that God gives all people, whether they're children of God or not. But as Jesus said, he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust. It's the simple joy of walking outside and feeling the warmth of the sun on your face and being reminded that there is a good God that loves his good creation. And more than that, for a Christian, that there is a good God who has redeemed for himself a people through love at the cross of Jesus. In addition to that, <clears throat> when you read verse 7, verse 7 is specifically uh, for aging, aging, for older people. If you are an older person here, you'll need to self-identify as an older person. I have found that people don't like for you to identify them as old people. You need to self-identify. Let me just say, if you're saying that you are midlife at 50 years old, you expect to live to be 100. So I would back off of that midlife a little bit. But verse 7 is for aging older people, and the call is don't lament about growing old. Instead, be thankful for God's good provision for his preserving grace that has got you this far. The good grace, there's somebody up there that understands it. The good grace of God that has allowed you to live another day here in Charlotte. You know what this is? This is uh, the preacher's way of saying Psalm 118, verse 24. Y'all remember that little song you sang when you were a kid? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and what? Be glad in it. And if you keep pounding on verse 7 in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, you keep pounding on it, you will see that this is completely and utterly and entirely positive. What, what I mean is there's no but statement in it. Verse 8 has a positive and then a but. Verse 9, positive, but. You, you've known people like that that can't actually say a positive sentence without putting something negative on it. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day, but it'll probably rain later. Verse 7 is not like that. There's no but in there. It's, it's unadulterated positivity. It's the preacher saying, God has given us this one day. He's given it for your good, for you to enjoy it. And then as he presses there in verse 7, he takes us into verse 8. And in verse 8, the preacher takes it a little further, and this is what he says. Okay, God gave you this one day. It's, the light is good. It's good for your eyes to see the sun. Verse 8, so, come with me to verse 8. So if you live many years, 20, 30, 40, 50, 70, 80, if you live many years, the older you get, the better you should be at rejoicing in the goodness of God. Now, I see you looking at verse 8. You see that button, verse 8. I'll get to that in just a moment in the second point. But let's, just for this time, let's stay right here in the positive. 
The, the, the preacher is calling you to put some things into perspective. I'm afraid God's people, some of you, some of you have, have, have lost perspective. Yes, you have pressures, you have deadlines, you have issues, you have problems. You may even actually have some fairly significant pains that you're dealing with. But you can't let all of that outweigh the great and good blessings that God has given you in Jesus. I love the Old Testament book, Habakkuk. It's a short little book, and the prophet there, you can feel a man of faith. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, some of you have clung to that. You should cling to those two verses. This is what the prophet says. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vine, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and even though there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You know what the preacher is saying? It's just what we sang a little bit ago. The, the preacher is saying, I know things are bad. I know that the pain is real. But let's just be reminded that there is no pain or badness in this world that can outweigh the grace of God found and centered in Jesus. And then notice what it does. Keep going. Notice what it is in verse 9. Then in verse 9, he turns his attention over to the young people. So verse 7, he talks to old people. Verse 8, he talks to those that need perspective. Verse 9, he now turns to the young people. So if you're a young person here, you categorize yourself young person. Verse 9, notice what he says to the young men and women. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let's just stop right there. Rejoice in being young. You're a young man and woman. You ought to be glad and thankful that you're young. Everybody else is trying to be young. You actually are young. There are some good things about being young. Believe it or not, you got fewer cares when you're young. When you're younger, you got less responsibilities. When you're younger, you you're living your life and you got room for some mistakes. You make a mistake, it's not ruining everything. When you're young, you got a stronger body. When you're young, you don't know what it's like to pull a muscle while you're sleeping. <laughs> you're young, you're not making noises when you're getting out of the car. You're not groaning when you step down off a step. You don't know why you made that groan. You got younger, stronger bodies. So the preacher says, just you need to enjoy that while you got it because it's not going to last. But more than that, notice what he said in verse 9. More than that, as a young man or young woman, you should rejoice. Look what it says. You should rejoice and you should drink deep of the doctrine of God's sovereignty. I want to talk to you if you're young. You need to take confidence in the doctrine of the providence of God that if you are bought by the blood of Christ, you are a child of God, then, then he has you in his hands. 
and providence or sovereignty, whichever word you want to use, they're connected. That is one of those great doctrines that should give you confidence. Here's what I mean. I'm going to show it to you. Verse, verse 9. <clears throat> Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. And then look at this advice. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Now, he puts a little addendum. But know that you're going to be held in judgment when you do terrible things. That's what the rest of verse 9 says. But let's just keep looking at this, this little piece. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. You see what he's saying there? Every decision you make doesn't have to be some mystical, agonizing decision. Under the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, he has you in, in his hands. Romans 8.28 tells us that God works all things together for good. So as you're living and you're making decisions, the preacher is saying, look, if you're living a holy life and you understand the judgment of God, then you can make some decisions. You don't have to agonize, should I go to school? Should I take this job? Should I go on a trip? Should I marry this person? Should I marry this? Look, does he love God? Does he love you? Is he nice to his mother? Yes, marry him. If you're pursuing holiness... You're living your life for Christ. You're able to make some decisions trusting that God is in it. You can, when you're pursuing holiness, you can make decisions for happiness and trust God's providence. When you are pursuing holiness, you can make decisions for happiness and trust God's providence to work it for good. You know what this does? This takes a whole lot of pressure. This takes a whole lot of pressure off of us. And it reminds us as a child of God in Christ, life is good. It is good to be alive. There's something else to consider in this passage. Not only is it good to be alive, let me give you a second point. I would say that the preacher teaches us that it is good to know God, to know God. I was going to say it's good to fear God, but instead of what with it's good to know God, I would just put the two together. To know God is to actually fear God. It's important to know it. Why? You need ground to stand on. And that ground is made solid by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We, 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 we need it. Some of you know this all too well. Let's go back to verse 8. And... Um, Let's be reminded of the call to joy, but let's be reminded that suffering is real. Verse 8, notice it with me. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but, comes the negative, let him remember that the days of darkness will be many and all that comes is vanity. That the days of darkness are many. All that comes is vanity. What a haunting phrase to think about life and, and what years you have left, that the days of darkness are many. And now when you read that, I've been thinking about it, and commentators would agree that it, it can mean one of two things. That little phrase, that the days of darkness will be many, that actually could mean that you are going to be dead longer than you were alive. 
kind of a terrible way of thinking about it, that you're, look, no matter how long you live, when you die, you're actually going to stay dead longer than you were alive. I don't know why I thought about Elvis. <laughs> thought about Elvis, I think because Elvis lived to be 42 years old, and right now Elvis has actually been dead longer than he was alive. So, so maybe the preacher's saying, hey, you need to... You need to enjoy life while you can because when you die, it's over and you're going to be dead longer. I don't think that, though, is what it means. I think he has a, a deeper, more profound meaning. <clears throat> it could mean that, yes, light is good and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It's nice to have a, a brand new day. I know I should rejoice in it. Being young is great. But there will be days, verse 8, maybe a whole lot of them. In fact, you might have more bad days than you actually have good days. You're, you're, you're going to have a lot of days that are shrouded in darkness with no actually, no really good way out. This this is Elijah, great battle on Mount Carmel, threatened by Jezebel, falling into depression. This is Elijah under the juniper tree saying to God, it is enough, I wish I were dead. This is John the Baptist after a great preaching career and Jesus comes on the scene. John the Baptist is put in prison and there in prison he knows he's going to be killed and his, his faith wavers and he sends a message to Jesus, are you actually who I thought you were? This is you having your faith tested. Anybody can smile pretty on a Sunday day. Doesn't take a Christian for that. This is you having your faith refined and tested and, and displayed so at the end of it you can say with Job, even though he slay me, yet I will praise him. This is you trusting that God is close to the brokenhearted. This is, this is you trusting that that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. This is you believing that the sufferings that you have gone through are for your own sanctification. This is you learning like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Remember what he said? Who had a, a terrible life and died a young man. Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned, can you learn this? I have learned to kiss the wave that cast me on the rock of ages. This is you learning to know God in the dungeon of pain. This is you learning to know God in the fullness of who He is as you weep uncontrollably. This is you understanding that God is using every bit of it to draw you, to sanctify you, to make you into who He desires you to be. This is us dealing with pain and suffering in a way that is honoring to God and good for us. Verse 8 is a heavy verse. <clears throat> As I wrestled through that, I wrestled with what does it look like to, to know and to fear this good God. As I studied, I, I dealt with several commentaries. One of the, um, one of the commentaries that I oftentimes will go to is written by a man named Warren Wearsby. 
Warren Wiersbe uh, was a great preacher and commentator. A lot of his commentaries, he, alliter he alliterates them, gives great outlines. I always have to read his commentary last because then I think I need to change my sermon to what he said. And when he looked at this passage, he dealt with the three R's here in the passage to rejoice, to remember, and then that word remove down in verse 10. Verse 9, when we move to it, it tells us exactly what to remember. Now, let me show it to you. In the context of, of, of talking to those who are young, to telling them to enjoy life, look, look what to remember in verse 9. <clears throat> Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Here comes the contrast. But... Know that for all of those things, God will bring you into judgment. Isn't it interesting that after giving us all this great and positive thing that the preacher says, the preacher now introduces us to God as a judge. This passage here presents him as the giver of good things, of, of light and, and life, of joy and youth. And then the preacher calls our attention, but before you go too far, don't forget that the God of the Bible is ineffably holy, that he is unapproachable, and that all people everywhere from every time period and every race and ethnicity stand before God with him as judge. Not only that, we stand before God, he is the judge, and we actually are guilty. Not only that, there is a guilt that runs so deep that has so stained our souls and stained them so thoroughly that the only hope of actually removing that guilt is the sinless Savior, Jesus. Here's a good place for the gospel. The gospel goes like this. <clears throat> God is a holy creator who has created every one of us, created you in his image. But the image of God in you, which is noble, the image of God in you has been disfigured because of sin, disfigured beyond repair. You are not only far from God, you actually are dead in sin. You, you need spiritual resurrection. And God, because he is not just a judge, he is also loving, sends his son Jesus, who lives perfectly because you and I can't. He lives perfectly keeping the entire law earning righteousness. He certainly was already righteous, but as a man, he lived righteously. That righteousness he gives to every person who believes in him. Not only that, he goes to the cross, and there on the cross, he takes the wrath of God, the full judgment of God. You're never going to be judged for your sins if you are in Christ. You'll be disciplined, but the judgment went on Jesus. He died, God raised him from the dead, and the gospel is if you believe that, if you'll turn from your sin, the judge, you stand before the judge covered in the righteousness of Christ. You see, in Christ, life is good. It is, it is good to be alive. It is good to know God. Let me give you one last one. <clears throat> I'll make it quick. Number three, it is good to be content. What a great word, content. It's right there in verse 10. If you look hard enough, you'll find it. There in verse 10, uh, you see those words, remove and put away? 
Let me read it and then we'll talk about it. Remove and put away. Those are important imperatives in verse 10. The preacher says, remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Let's deal with the first phrase. Remove vexation. Remove vexation from your heart. What are you worried about? What are you scared of? You, you can't actually enjoy life if you're, already, if you're always scared. The preacher says here, you, you, need some, you need to remove that vexation from your heart. It looks, it looks a lot like repentance. This looks a lot like a prayer saying, God, I need you to help me. Ask God to get the vexation so my question is, okay, that sounds good. What is vexation? It's hard to define. Let me give you a couple of words. Remove anger and, and hurt and self-pity and bitterness. Remove unforgiveness. Are you, you holding something against someone? Even if it's justified, unforgiveness. You're hold, that's vexation. Remove vexation. Resentment, jealousy. The preacher says, you're not ever going to find contentment until you get all of that out of your system. Every one of those things are enemies of contentment, and they are thoroughly unchristian. We remove. How do we remove? We ask God to help. Ask Him. He will. There's another step to contentment. Remove vexation from your heart. Come down to the next phrase. And then put away, see that phrase? Put away pain, that word pain. That's actually the Hebrew word ra'ah. It's, it's the word for evil. So bring that knowledge back to the text. Put away evil from your body. This is the sixth and seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer. Remember when he told us to pray? He, he taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Isn't that where contentment begins. You know, the preacher makes one last assertion at the very end of verse 10. He just sort of tacks this on. With that last phrase, uh, he tells us that youth, do you see the last phrase? Youth and the dawn of life are vanity. I would circle that phrase, dawn of life. You know what that is literally? Your Bible might say it at the bottom of the page somewhere. That phrase, dawn of life, is the blackness of hair. In other words, you're going to go gray. Or it's going to fall out, one or the other. And you trying to hold on to it, the blackness of hair, that's what, I'm just reading you what the Bible said now. The blackness of hair is vanity. Why are you, why are you not content with the stage in life that you are? What did he say? Don't, don't try to be something else. It's right here. You need to get all that stuff out. Remove the vexation. We need to take that to the Lord. We, we need to, is there evil there? Maybe you're not a Christian. Christ. We need to put that away. We need to find that our, our contentment is in Jesus. We're here for a little while. And then we're gone. 
And it's only in Christ that you will actually see that life is good. It's good to be alive. It's good to know and fear God. It's it's good to be content. Do you believe that? Let's you and I close and let's ask God to help us. Join me as we pray together. Heads bowed this morning. Father, help for every child of yours that struggles right now. God, I pray by your spirit you would take away bitterness and unforgiveness. Give them strength to go to someone and seek forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, work in their hearts. For those without Christ, Father, I pray you would awaken a desire to have that evil out and contentment in. Help them. And Lord, for those of us that are believers, we we ask you to encourage our hearts so that we might see each day as the day that you have made and help us to rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.